Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. If you're just coming in not too long, welcome and um, good morning to you. So this is uh, an interesting passage, but first of all, let me just quickly say once again that we are, we've been going through a series since the beginning of September. The series is called A Gospel-Centered Urban Church. That is the identity that we, uh, of, of this church. We like to call ourselves a gospel-centered urban church. And the reason we're doing this series is basically to, to really try to explain from a biblical perspective what that means. We don't want to be people who just throw out slogans that don't have any real meaning towards that. What does it mean to be a gospel-centered urban church? Well, um, there are three things we try to use to explain this through. One is gospel, because it's a gospel-centered urban church. The second is mission. The urban sphere is where you know, we are taking the gospel to. And then the final thing is community. So gospel was in September. October was all about mission. And now, this month, we're doing community. All right, and because we're a church. So fine, um, that's what today is the penultimate message of, in that series before we get into December, Advent, Christmas, and all of that. So let me start by asking this. Now, I know not everybody here is one, but most of us know a little bit about the Premier League, right? We know about Premier League. Men, like, we love to watch it. Some of the wives, they have to do it so that they can do something with their husbands. You know, some of us pretend that we like it so that we can feel among. But we kind of have to know. It's, it's, it's one of the realities of life. The English Premier League is here. Now, we know, we know certain players. So if I said, um, who knows who Eden Hazard is? Raise up your hand. All right? OK, OK, OK. Who knows who um, Sergio Aguero is? Raise up your hand. Ah, people, oh, I see. The people who are Chelsea fans raised up their hand for the first one. Right? The, all the Man U and the M Manchester City haters, they didn't. Okay, who knows Romelu Lukaku? Who knows Jose Mourinho? All right, okay, 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 we're getting there. Who knows Phil Bardsley? One or two or three people. Phil Bardsley. Now, let me tell you a bit about Phil Bardsley. He's a Scottish player. And he's played mostly, most of his career was played in Sunderland. Then he played in Stoke. This year, he's at Burnley. He hasn't played a game as far as I know, for the Burnley team. Phil is one of these players, when you think about it, he's had 14 years in his career. A midfielder, not a defender. You know how many goals he has scored in his 14 years as a midfielder? You know how many? Eight. Eight goals. That's not, he's not been able to average one goal a year. He's one of those people, when you see him, you say, ah, you know that guy works his socks off. He, for effort, he gives 110%. Sweat, guts. He gives everything. Those are the things that come to your mind. You know what doesn't come to your mind? Skill or ability. Have you ever met an entrepreneur that, man, I'm so passionate about this thing. I'm so passionate about it. But the person doesn't know his numbers. Maybe he's a music entrepreneur. He doesn't know how to balance the books. His product is, is not really into marketing. I don't want to market, you know, it spoils the, you know, the purity of the thing. So it doesn't do any marketing. And then he's singing, you know, if you're a family member, you tell him, eh, it's not bad because you're a family member. You know what the real truth is. But this guy is passionate about being an entrepreneur, a music entrepreneur. He thinks he's going to take over the world. And you know why? He can't contemplate or understand why he's not doing very well, because he works very hard. Aren't we all guilty of telling our children, look, baby, if you work hard at anything you do, the sky is your limit. Now, can I advise you here? Stop it. Just, just stop it. You are breaking people's hearts. Why? Because effort without ability is just never... Enough. If I worse off is for you to have desire to do something, but you don't have the skill to do it. 
Ability is very important. It's like putting a lot of effort but actually going around in circles. Do you ever advance? No, there's a lot of motion, but you don't actually advance because we understand that ability with working hard is what brings about results. Now, in the last two weeks, we understood about the church. The first week, um, in the, the first message was, it's a community that is people who are together and they are devoted to one another. Last week, we said the thing that holds them together, it's love, but that love works itself out through action. So our devotion to one another and the love are important, but that love, in action, how would it really manifest if it is not meeting people's needs? So to meet people's needs, we do have to have the right abilities. And that's why this church, church that is called the community of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that gives and brings Christ's love to that church is also the Holy Spirit that gives the church gifts, abilities, so that we can meet each other's needs in love. And that's what this whole passage that we read is uh, all about. Now, this particular passage as well has been controversial, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but if we don't come with the historical baggage and just look at the passage for itself, you'll be amazed at how enriching um, the topic on the gifts of the Spirit are, especially in light of community. So. We've titled this message, Gifted to Serve, and we want to look at it under three different headings. First is the diversity of, diversity of the gifts. Second is purpose of the gifts. And third is Lord of the gifts. Diversity of the gifts, purpose of the gifts, and Lord of the gifts. Okay. And Lord of the gifts. So let's go to the first... Um, the first one, diversity of the gifts. Now, if you turn your eyes to verse 1 there, because uh, just let's read how it goes. It says, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Now when you say now, or you say now about the gifts of the Spirit, it's probably good to read now about the gifts of the Spirit. So I was talking with Shegun, we were talking about something, and I said now about this thing. Now, about this issue, it's because there was an issue. And there was an issue about the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, if you go to other parts of 1 Corinthians, you will notice when Paul is about to switch over to something, he will say, now about, so you see that at the beginning of chapter 5. You see that here. You also see that in the beginning of chapter 15. He's about to address an issue that had been ongoing in the church regarding the gifts. Now, when he says about these gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Let's all say uninformed. Uninformed. It's a very bad thing to be uninformed. Right? Or it's a very bad thing to be misinformed. If you're uninformed about something or misinformed about something, you can end up saying something like, Jesus be cursed. Verse 3. And he says, look, I don't want you to be uninformed. And when he does, in, re, in reaction to not wanting them to be uninformed, you know what Paul does? He says, let's go to class. Let's go, let's talk a little bit of theology. Now, he's going to address the issue itself that arose about the gifts in chapter 14. But before he gets to that issue, he says, let me lay out a little bit of theology here in chapter 12 and 13. So we looked at chapter 13 last week. And now we're looking at chapter 12. Now, I say this, this is really important because sometimes, especially in something like this, you say, well, you know, I, some people would say, well, me, I don't know about all of this Bible, Bible they are talking about. I just know what God has told me. Or I just know what my own experience is. Paul is saying, you may be really uninformed. Don't be uninformed. It's not good. At least Paul doesn't like it. We do need the teaching of the Spirit of God as mediated through the apostles. Remember when we looked two weeks ago, they said part of the things the disciples did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So here, Paul wants to tell us certain things about the gifts. Now, the first thing he says, verse 4, is 
there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of gifts. Now, in verse 8 to 9, in verses 8 to 10, he lists about nine of them. He lists about nine. In verse 28 to 30, he lists another nine. But he takes three out of the first list in 8 to 10, and then he includes another three in verses 28 to 30. And in fact, this isn't the only, these are not the only two lists of the gifts. In fact, we have two other lists in the New Testament. So we have four lists of the gifts of the Spirit. So they're not nine, as sometimes people would say. In fact, you end up having about 17 of them. So the other two passages are in Romans 12, 6 to 8, and then you have Ephesians 4 and 11. So here we have all of them. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, discernment of, of spirits, message of wisdom, teaching or message of knowledge, shepherds, pastors, exhortations. And then you have working of miracles, healing, service helping, leading administration, tongues, interpretation of tongues, giving, faith, and mercy. There are about 17 that are listed here. But notice also, some of them are repeated in the other list. In fact, there are only, um, I think there are about two of them that you find in all of the lists. I think that's prophets and teaching. They're in all of the lists. So some of them are included in one. Another one is included in another. Now, let me quickly address some mistakes. Some people say that Romans chapter 12 is um, natural gifts, your natural talent. But that 1 Corinthians 12 is that of um, the supernatural, those that come from the spirit. There'll be a slight problem there because you have two of them that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 that then are listed in Romans 12 verse 6. So how do you work that out? No. And let me say again, even though there are 17 that are listed here, Paul's point, he's not trying to say here are the nine or here are the 17. And therefore, except it's any of those, then it cannot be. No. He's in fact, the random there's a sense, almost a sense of random nature. The fact that he includes in this one, or he forgets this one in this other one, and brings that he's saying all of these abilities are given, and even more here in the church. There are different kinds of gifts. In other words, God sees that abilities to do certain things are important, not just our intentions. And don't get me wrong, the intentions are important. But you can have, as we said in the introduction, you can have intention, good intentions, right desires, but the community will not be served well if you do not have abilities. And notice that it's not just in the number, the, 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 the difference or the not different kinds of gifts, it's not just in the list of the gifts, but it's also how the gifts are distributed. Verse 11. All these are the work of the one and, same, and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one. How? Just as he determines. In other words, he's not taking the spirit, all the gifts of the spirit, and he's giving it to Yobo. And no, Yobo cannot potentially express himself in all kinds of gifts. It's not possible. Because the Holy Spirit takes and he gives it to each one of us as he determines. You know why this is important? This diverse spreading and distribution of the gifts. Because it's a reflection of the diversity that we have in the church. Notice he says, Jews and Gentiles, verse 13. Whether Jews or Gentiles or slaves or free. Because the church itself has different people from different backgrounds, backgrounds, God says, also in their abilities, I want them to be different as well. So he carries these different gifts, and then he distributes them to different people because these different people are coming from different backgrounds, different works of life, different ethnicities, different genders. The different kinds of gifts is a feature of what we have in the church. But there's something else. They're not just different, but they are one. For the mathematical among us, write down. For the non-mathematical among us, write down as well. Let me give you two equations you mustn't forget. One, difference without oneness equals division. <coughs> different without oneness equals division. Difference, two, difference with oneness 
equals diversity. Difference with oneness equals diversity. When we talk of diversity, you assume that there's oneness. Notice we talk a lot about difference. But how does difference become diversity? Because division is bad. Diversity is good. How does difference become diversity? How is it that difference is not going to draw us apart? Well, there has to be oneness. Not sameness, but oneness. If it's sameness, then there is not the differences that we are talking about. But when you have oneness, it's saying, even with the differences, there is a coming together. So as he has expressed all these different kinds of gifts, he then starts to emphasize some kind of oneness. And he saw at pain six times or seven times, he tells us it's one spirit. Verse 8, the spirit. Verse 8 again, the same spirit. Verse 9, the same spirit. Verse 9 again, that one spirit. Verse 11, one and the same spirit. Why? Because as we see in verse 13, we have all been baptized in or drink of what? One spirit. And so to encapsulate this whole oneness but difference, Paul then brings in this analogy that we often use for the church and he calls it the body. Verse 12, just as a body, though one is what? It has many parts, but all its many parts from different bodies. All its many parts from what? One body. And verse 14, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And later in verse 12, he says, so it is with Christ. So it is with Messiah. On the one hand, we think of the Messiah as one person. It is true. The Messiah is one person. But he's saying, so it is with the body of the Messiah. It is one body, even though it has many parts. And we understand this, don't we? That is, Kemi has two eyes as she's looking at me. She has two hands, two legs, two shoulders, two, uh, two nostrils. Is that, is that right English? Whatever. 32 teeth, maybe. And yet, I don't say 32 different people are here. I say Kemi. All these one things come together to form, all these different things come together to form this one whole. And as we see in verse 21, it's quite important as well that they come together because it's not just Kemi's hands do certain things to Kemi's feet. Right? If her toenails start to grow a bit long, she's not going to use her other leg to cut the toenails, is she? She's going to use her hands. So that in that regard, the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you. For the one body to function properly, all the different parts, they're not just there as decorations, the different parts are there to serve the other parts so that you can fruitfully have the expression of oneness. And so in that regard, Latunde is different from Bem. Bem is different from Itunu. Itunu is different from Moses. And yet, even though they are different, Itunu can just, cannot just stay on her own and say to Moses, I do not have any need of you. Because Itunu has certain gifts that Moses does not have, and Moses has certain gifts that Itunu doesn't have. And God has arranged it such a way that Itunu will need Moses because of what he has that she doesn't have, and vice versa. We all need each other. Let's say that together. We all need each other. This is really important. Now, this isn't, don't get me wrong, this is not merely academic because it's not the first time you are reading that passage. But we truthfully, existentially need each other because God has not just made us different, come together from different backgrounds. To express this, God has put in us different abilities that we all need. And that's how a body functions, and that's how the local church should function. There's one other thing I want to say about this unity and diversity. Now, yes, the hand is very important to the body. The eye is very important to the body. The teeth, the ears, they are very, very important. So all of these things, even the ones we can't see, like the cells, right? All of those things within. 
And so the body is created in such a way that because of all these diverse parts, it should be able to function independently. <coughs> I would say somewhat. And what do I mean by somewhat? Okay. When last did you generate oxygen from your body? I know you can't remember what they taught you in biology. You, do, you, you take in oxygen and you bring out carbon dioxide. So the oxygen that you breathe, is it generated from you? Even with all the things that the body has, can it generate oxygen? So if you don't have oxygen from outside, what will happen to you? You will die. Okay. When last did you grow fruit, uh, food or fruit from your mouth? The mouth is not given to bring out fruit. It's given to consume. So we don't grow fruit from inside us, do we? All right? And if we don't eat from the food that comes outside, we will do what? We'll starve. And if we starve, we will... Nobody, we don't like talking about death. If you starve, you will die. <laughs> okay, let's not use death, all right? One more thing, one more thing. We what? We sleep. You have been too spiritual. Okay. Sleep. sleep. Sleep of death. Thank you. One more. Deodorant. Yeah, I look laughing. Some people say, yes, speak it, Pastor. Deodorant. When last have we grown deodorant from us? Does deodorant come? Have you ever brought deodorant out of yourself, Kevin? Yeah, you are not serious. All right. Sorry, please, if you are not a heretic, move to the left. Because this is the heretic corner. Deodorant, we all use deodorant externally, right? Now, if we don't use deodorant that is externally coming from outside, what will happen to us? What will happen to us? We exactly, we generate our own smell. And when we smell, what happens to, not us, to other people? They will what? They will die. They will suffer, all right? What am I saying? As independent as the many members of the body makes the body, the body still needs things external from it. And notice in verse 4, it says that there are different gifts, but it's one spirit. There are different kinds of service, but it's one Lord. There are different kinds of working, but it's one God. In other words, the body of Christ still needs an external input, and that is one God, the Trinity. But how come, because you see that tension, this different but one. Different but the same. Different but the same. It needs an external input from outside from the one God. But that one God is the same. Because you see one God, we said spirit, we said Lord, and we also said God, the Father. Very simple. The body is one but many members. And it needs external input for it to be sustained by one God who is also many persons. The unity and the function, the unity of the body and its function, its sustenance through its many member parts is also a reflection of the perfect unity in diversity of community that we find in the Trinity. Tweet that. No, sorry, it was just the rhyming. I didn't plan that. But notice, one God is sustaining one body. But that one God himself is diverse. He's one, but he's diverse. Spirit, Lord, God. And he's doing that to this one body that is many-membered. So that's the diversity of the gifts. The next thing we have to ask is, therefore, if that describes the gifts... What is the main purpose of the gifts? Point two, purpose of the gifts. Very, very simple. If I ask you what's the purpose of the gifts, the answer is in verse 7. Now, the, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. Everyone say the common good. No other purpose. It's for the common good. Say it again. The common good. I think that's very simple. But in our contemporary time, we often, I don't want to say misread, but we often have forgotten this particular um, um, uh, purpose, especially when we've read verses 8 to 10, these nine of them. And the way we misread this, or the way we've not understood, or the way we misapply what the gifts are for, 
are for two reasons I can at least identify. One is theological, and the other one is moral. So we don't express the real purpose of the gifts for a theological reason and for a moral reason. Let's take the theological reason. I'll try not to spend too much time on it, but at least let me address it. Now, some may say that it's not so much of an issue as it was maybe in the 80s and the 90s, but I still think there is an issue here. Many times, what has happened is, let's say you have two groups. One, Pentecostals, the other one call themselves cessationists. Pentecostals and cessationists are people who traditionally have not agreed. In fact, they have divided on this particular issue. And what is the debate here? I want to show you something. That actually, these people are more similar than they actually care to think. What is the essential problem? The essential problem is they get to verses 8 to 10. Pentecostals will say, depending that these gifts were silent before for whatever reason in history, right? They were there in the, in the, in the um, early church. They went around for a while. At the beginning of 20th century, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came again, the gifts, the nine gifts were there. The supernatural gifts were unleashed again, especially with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Cessationists will say, no. Actually, these gifts were here at a certain point. They served a certain function. They're not serving that function again, so they do not exist again. In other words, they have ceased. And the battle goes on. Pentecostals will say eventually those people don't have the spirit. It's a dead church. Those suggestions will say those people have something, but it's not the spirit. There's a weird church. Either one is always fighting with the other. Why do I say they are similar? Well, let me say why they are similar. They are similar because they have both bought into an arbitrary, what I would call an arbitrary categorization, which is both of them will see that the 8 to nine, eight to 10 are what you can call, they'll call it maybe supernatural or extraordinary gifts. Let's call it supernatural gifts. They actually create a different category for those gifts. And both of them would even say that those gifts serve the same function. Pentecostals would say, when we have these gifts, we're empowered for witness, and our witness comes with signs and wonders, so that if we can prove the signs and wonders, it will authenticate us and the message that we are preaching, and then people will listen to the message and give their lives to Jesus. Do you understand that? So that the reason the gifts were given, these nine gifts were given, was to authenticate the people and the message that the people brought. If we're, our witness is going to go out to all the world, if we're going to fulfill that the, the message of the gospel should go to all the world, we need these gifts. Cessationists will say that actually those gifts were given because at a certain point in history, there was no New Testament. There was the Old Testament, but there was no New Testament. And so Jesus had to be authenticated by the gifts the supernatural things that he was doing, and then his apostles that followed him and the messengers of the apostles that followed him, they needed to be authenticated by that gift so that people would listen to them. But once the New Testament had been given, the whole thing, the revelation, was already laid down there. And now we can, the Holy Spirit works through the message of the gospel. Therefore, we no longer need the gifts. Notice, two of them create and subscribe to this separate category for the supernatural gifts. Two of them subscribe to the fact that those gifts were for authentication with non-Christians. The only place that they differ is on timing. One of them says there's an apostolic era. After the apostolic era, the New Testament has come. Therefore, we don't need it again. The other one is saying, no, actually, especially now, we are coming to the last days. It has come back again. And it needs to authenticate us just as he authenticated them. Who is right? They are both wrong. Both well-meaning, but both wrong. Or let me say partially right, but wrong in, in, in one instance. One, they are both right in this. Yes, some of these extraordinary things or some of these evidences were to authenticate. There's no doubt about that. But you don't read that one, you don't read that. First of all, you read those gifts, as I've said before, 
The, yes, verses 8 to 10, but when you get to 20, 28 to 29, uh, 29 to 30, the gifts there, they are very much the same as those that are there. And notice what is included in, in I said three of them were included in 28, 29, 30. Helping is there. All right, so helping. Oh, these people are helping. That, doesn't, that seems nice, but that doesn't seem very, very extraordinary, is it? And you can't now argue very quickly that um, where helping is not part of the nine gifts. Well, six of them were in this new list. And apostles aren't empowered with the Holy Spirit. So one is that there's an issue with this arbitrary categorization. Every gift is supernatural. Now, some gifts are more catchy than other ones. No doubt about that. But every gift is supernatural because it's given by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the main reason is not authentication. What is the main reason? Verse 7 that we just read. It is given for who? The common good. It is not for non-Christians. The reason the gifts are given are for the Christians. It is not given so that people will see on the outside. That could be a secondary reason. The reason is given because Francis has a need that only Timmy Dio can meet. The reason is given for the sustenance of the body. Just as your eyes help your mouth to say, to say certain things, so to not confess the wrong thing, in the same way, Latunde's gift is trying to help Juliet. The main reason for the gifts is not to prove something outside. At least in this passage, the reason for the gifts is for the sustenance of the body. So in that regard, cessationists are wrong because if it is needed for the gifts of the body, then how do you start explaining to me that some of them have ceased? All of them are needed. If it was needed for the body then, it is needed for the body now. And Pentecostals are wrong because it doesn't come with this time, these Christians that are baptized in the Holy Spirit in verse 13, because in verse 13 it says, all have been what? Baptized. We all have drank. We all have been baptized. So, they are both correct in one regard, but they are both wrong. In other words, what am I saying? Don't misread this. The gifts, all of them are available, but the main reason is for it to function in the body. What's the second reason? The second reason we often miss this is a moral one. And if you notice in verse 5, it says there are different kinds of service. In other words, the bearers of the gifts are to be assumed as people called servers. Servers what? Serve. They perform a service. And they serve for the common good. Now, but there's another way you can function that is not a server. And we find that both in Corinth and here in Lagos today. It is a consumer. A consumer. You can either be a server with the gifts, the same gifts, you can be a server, and the same gifts, you can be a consumer. Who is a consumer? Well, let's take a couple of things. A consumer, when he sees the church, what does he think about? The church is made up of staff and workers and consumers. Staff, workers, and consumers. So as you're sitting down here today, Femi is a worker, a staff. Uh, Tomiwa is member of staff. And Femi and Tomiwa serve here for my own pleasure. They come to serve me. And you know why? Because I've paid for the service with my attendance. I'm here. I'm here. You should serve me. I won't come more. If I don't come to your church, there will be empty seats. You should appreciate the fact that I'm here. Also, I gave my tithe. I've been giving my tithe. So you've paid with your giving. You've paid with your attendance. Therefore, you now should be served. In fact, it becomes a right and a demand. I don't know how many of you saw the issue of our passport being a right, but let's leave that. If, we don't, if you've not seen it, go put it on YouTube. There's a video about that. Someone said that Nigerian passport is, is a privilege, not a right. Anyway. No, no, no. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Don't start getting angry. Some people got angry about that. All right. So it becomes, a right, it becomes a right, something you can demand. Service becomes something you demand, but there is one way. One is just unidirectional. 
Other things about it is the consumer will say, what is in it for me? When I come in here, when I come to church, I, I had a friend that said, I, I, no, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm checking all these churches because I need the church that can give me all the things I need. You see, it's a consumer mentality. Whereas a server thinks, how can I serve others? Or the servant sees the church as a body whose many members exist to serve each other. Or he sees attendance and financial giving as a debt of love. Paul says, oh, no man except what? What? The continuing debt of love. And also an expression of love. And rather than say, what is in it for me? It's how can I serve others? Another one is, if you're a consumer, consumers make it very difficult to be asked to serve in any way, either by attitude or repeatedly saying no. Now, some people, they have a nice way of saying no, and they know who they will say no to. All right? If Ibukun goes and asks some people, please, can you serve in this? No. If Femi asks, um, okay, let me get back to you about it. Right? So you look at the person that is asking you. Now, but most of us don't really say no. It's this, ah, we're looking for people to serve in this, um, in this capacity. And then I just start looking at Francis. Francis just does, or he takes his face away. There's an attitude. Or when they've asked you, you know, have you ever asked somebody something? After you've asked the person, you regret asking the person. You regret that you ever did. Because the person says, mm, I don't know. Uh, well... Okay, but you people always disturb me. I, I don't know. It's, it's too far. It's too, the person will go, oh, no, no. And you'll be like, Biko, 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 please don't do it again. <laughs> and that memory, that memory remains there so that there's another opportunity that comes. And they say, go and ask. Okay, let me know. Go and ask Femi. Let me point out. Or else before you say, ah. If I just call somebody, say, go and ask Femi. And you'll be like, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and we laugh about it. Some of you that are laughing at some of the people, you have that. I, I shudder to ask some people in this church to do something. I do. I'm not calling anyone's name. <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes it's just unreliability. You say you will do it. You say you will show up at the time you're meant to show up to practice, but you don't show up at the time to practice. And you'll be reminded over and over and over again up until when the person just says, hey, you know this person, she's like that. He's like that. No, I'm very serious, dead serious about it. <laughs> very serious about it. The, you will, the problem is you have bought so much into the urban culture where everything is paid for. You complain about the fact that they didn't answer you on time. All of those things, when you go to eat trees, all of that, and you've now brought that mentality into the church. In that regard, you are not viewing the church as a body. You are viewing it as an event center where you have paid for something, and now you have a right, and you demand service. Whereas the nature of someone who is a servant, someone who is a server, is that he makes it easy to be asked to serve in any capacity because of their attitude and their willingness to say yes. As I've said that there are some people like that. There are some people in this church. I won't lie to you. I'm sorry that we've burdened you. You're just a fantastic person. That's just the truth. There are some people that are serving like four or five capacities. You just know. You just say, ah, who can we? Immediately some name. So eventually we start saying, ah, no, 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 no. We are troubling this person with too much. This person is doing too much. Because of their willingness. Because, let's come together, because of their willingness. They have a servant's heart. Can we be like that? Because when we do that, we recognize that we are part of one body. I can't go through the other things. Okay, one more. The people who are consumers are very critical of the church's weaknesses. They're always critical. Why isn't this thing here? Why is there no toilet, uh, tissue paper in the toilet? Excuse me, you have one hand, you have two hands, you have two legs, you have two eyes. Please help us get tissue. Right? Right? You complain about every single thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe some, there are some people that have to be doing something, they have some responsibilities, but you never see what is good in the place. All you ever see is what is lacking, and you do absolutely nothing to actually meet that need. 
the empty barrels truly make loudest noise. And you'll find out that the people that complain the most are the people that give the least. Just is. It just is. When your heart is so giving towards giving, you, you just see things that, oh, I'm so gracious. I'm so happy for the graciousness that is here. It's not that you are naive and you don't see weaknesses. You are also acting towards helping those weaknesses to be mitigated. So they are serving because when they do all of this, the common good is being met. Be a server, not a consumer. And for you to do that, notice what I kept saying about the, the consumer. The consumer is proud. Why? Because the center of pride is self-centeredness. Me, I, me, I, me, I, myself. Why isn't this happening? Why is it? I'm not feeling it. The worship today wasn't whatever. That sound. You know how that sound of the mic always comes? It's always you. Whereas a servant is humble. And at the center of humility is other-centeredness. Yes, you come to church. Yes, you have issues. Everybody has issues. But sometimes you just say, you know what, my issues are not, because I'm not the center of the universe, I will make my issues or the things that I have just succeeded in. Ah, Faith, how far? What about that thing? How about that thing you talked, we talked about? Have you, you know, is there any way I can help? You are other-centered. It's only when we are other-centered that the common good can be enriched. It's only when you're other-centered that the abilities that are given to you will be used for others' purpose, not for yours. The main problem in the church in Corinth was that people were using gifts to serve their own selves. And that's why I said prophecy in this regard is better than tongues because prophecy doesn't come with any need to interpret. Once you start giving prophecy, people understand. But tongues, if it's uninterpreted, you'll be like, man, I don't know what that guy is saying, but that guy is really filled with the Spirit. It's about that guy. But if it's to serve the common good, then you will require interpretation. And when you read 1 Corinthians 14, again, in verses, look at verse 12 and verse 26. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church, the common good. When you, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, and interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Other-centeredness. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. If you look to the interest of others, they will look to your own interest. And therefore, the common good is then served. Can I say this? You cannot really do this being a member of eight churches. In fact, to say you're a member of eight churches is a misnomer. You can't be a member of eight churches. You can only be a member of one. And sometimes, please let me say this. Sometimes some people say, look, yes, I get certain values from church. Sometimes I come, sometimes I don't. What do I really need church from? At least I listen to the podcast of my favorite pastor. I'm able to pray. I have a fantastic worship time with God. All right, fine. Apart from your naivety and the fact that you really will be missing out on things that you think you won't be missing out, you have gifts that other people need. Why should you deny people because you are being served? Don't deny us of your gifts. And please, as we said in the first message, that means that we need you. For us to really say we are together, sporadic attendance doesn't help. Can I just be real? If we are really together and we want to serve one another, we have to see our responsibility towards the other person. I need you to be reliable. We need you to have the attitude that wants to serve. I'm not saying that has to be here in City Church. Everyone that is here, believe me, I love you to be in City Church. But I do say this. The Bible does require for you to be a member of a body. Paul was speaking to a church. All right, so let's finalize this now. Last point, the Lord of the gifts. Now, what is the church? The church in many, has been described in many ways. We've just said a body. But 
In Ephesians 3, Paul calls the church a mystery. A mystery. And that, he was talking about the fact that God is able to bring people of different races, people of different backgrounds together in one unity, in, in unity. And that was showing forth the manifold wisdom of God. But that unity, that mystery also, is not just unity of people, different races and different backgrounds. But it's also a unity. This, the unity is also mysterious because it transcends time and space. It is also a unity of people who have died with people who are present and the people who are yet unborn. How many of us believe that we are the same church of Augustine? We belong to the same church of Paul. Raise up your hand. You don't believe you are united with Paul? In the church, the global church. All right, I'm not saying Paul, Paul is not a... Ah! You see, Hebrews 12 says, when we come to church, we come to the church of... The, when we come to Mount Zion, we come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Whether you are here or the spirit of just men made perfect, we are all of the same church. Now, I know it has a local expression, but I'm saying the mystery of the church for all ages, it transcends time and space. And the reason you can say that, that because even though the church is made of human beings... Because you're thinking, how is it possible? But is it not made of human beings? It's a human organization and an organism. It is true. But Ephesians 2 tells us also that we are being built as a dwelling place for who? The Holy Spirit. So it is both a divine, it's a divine human institution. The church is a divine human institution. Now, we've been calling the church a body, isn't it? And we're talking about hands, legs, feet. But it's not a headless body. A headless body is an, is an odious thing. The church has a head. Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ, right? Now, remember we said that the church is a divine human institution. Well, it will make sense that the head of the church is a divine human himself, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God who became a man. So this divine human institution has its head as, as God who is a human being. But what was he called in the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians 12? Verse 5, there's different kinds of service, but who? But one Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. It says that kind of service, one Lord. In other words, actually, at the most fundamental point, when I serve Tosi and I serve Lolade, I am serving the Lord. But who is this Lord? Well, this Lord is also Savior, as we read in Ephesians chapter 5. He is the head of the church because he's the Savior. And the question becomes, how does he save us? Because you see, the salvation of, that this Lord brings is fundamental as to how, why we should serve one another. Well, it's very simple. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this about himself. This Lord of this church, he says this about himself. How am I going to save people? Well, it comes with my mission. And he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life, what? As a ransom for many. Guys, don't you get it? The main reason we are called to serve is because of the gospel. Because if I keep telling you, I may have made some of you feel bad, I may have made some of you feel giddy. If I just keep saying, serve, why? Because the Bible says serve, serve. You may not have the empowerment, and it may even be legalistic. But what we are saying is this. You are only in the church. Your salvation is eternal, freely given to you. Why? Because there was one that served you. And so now, go and do likewise. If you are in the body of this Christ, how did you get into the body of Christ? He served you. So why not give and serve yourself, uh, um, your brothers and sisters? Give your life. It's like, well, it's too much to give. Well, he gave his life for you. That's what we are called to do. Sometimes, well, the problem is I would like to serve. I like to serve. You know, I know I should serve Kemi, but Kemi doesn't deserve it, and Victor deserves it. And then Jesus looks to you and says, "So you deserve my salvation?" He said, "Well, but the problem with Queen is that Queen did not appreciate me the last time. How often are we appreciative?" of the salvation that Jesus brings. Guys, the gospel is both our example and our inspiration to serve. 
There are days that it's very uncomfortable for us to serve. Like some of us maybe will say, ah, I've not had sleep in six days. Let me tell you something. The cross of Jesus Christ was the most uncomfortable event in the entire world. You think it was comfortable for him. But because of love for the people that were his, he decided to be very uncomfortable so that he can serve them to be comfortable. You do the same. So please, when next you are called to serve, when next you are thinking about it, when you do feel that you don't have the inspiration, the power, or you don't even really feel like I want to do it, remember you are doing it for the common good, but you are also doing it because Jesus has served you. Let us pray. We'll do something different with our prayer. I want to ask us to just think if there's been any conviction in you here now at this point and say, look, I really do need. I've not been one. I have lived too much as a consumer. Take that to the Lord now. Right now. As Kevin said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse our righteousness. At this point, start thinking, how can I be of better service? Have I in any way with my attitude? Even though I say yes, but have I given off a kind of attitude that repels people from asking me to serve? Am I giving any point of any duty and very immediately I want to pass it on to somebody else? Because it's too, unco too uncomfortable. Because it's not convenient. And then there are some of us here that I have to push you. It's nice to attend different churches. You get certain things, different things here and there. But the Bible does com command you to commit. And there's no command that Jesus Christ gives us that is not for our benefit. But it's first that we should honor him. Are you going to commit yourself? We'll find things that are perfect, yes, but look for good teaching. Is the teaching there correct? And are the people there reasonable enough to live with? And when you find that place, then give yourself wholeheartedly. Don't be like the one that is always looking for the weaknesses. Be someone that sees the weaknesses and tries to do something about it, but also appreciates the graces. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.